This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. That's GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. Okay, guys, I have a fun and uplifting and encouraging and equipping episode for you today. And I'm talking to my friend, Allison Sintafonte. Isn't that a fun last name? We are talking about motherhood. She has about a a month old. And so we are going to talk about her transition from being a mom of one to being a mom of two. She's going to tell us a little bit about her birth story and just some advice for new moms and moms of little ones. Uh, But we are mostly going to be talking about what is happening right now in the abortion world. We are going to talk about the reaction, the protest, the vitriol that we are seeing from the pro-abortion slash quote-unquote pro-choice left in regard to the possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned. If you want more information about what exactly happened there with the leak of the draft and all that, we'll link the previous episode on that so you can get um, up to date. She's going to give us some talking points, some advice on how to engage with people from the other side. The fact of the matter is, is that there's a lot going on right now. There is a lot of hatred, a lot of anger, a lot of mis and disinformation, a lot of propaganda. I know you guys as pro-lifers are feeling overwhelmed online. You're feeling bullied. You're feeling intimidated. I've talked to some of you who have been the only one at work where you are hearing the women that you work with talk about how important an abortion access is and how dangerous overturning Roe v. Wade is. And you've been afraid. You've been afraid to speak up, which is understandable. But that is exactly what the pro-abortion side wants. They are using, as we will talk about today, really scary intimidation tactics to try to bully you, to try to silence you. There is this um, radical group called Jane's Revenge that uh, told to send a communication to someone named Robert Evans of iHeartMedia and basically said that anti-choice establishments, fake clinics is what they call pro-life clinics, and anti-choice groups um, have a 30-day ultimatum before they get attacked, I guess, um, which is really disturbing. And we're going to talk about a little bit what that has looked like over the past few days. These pro-life clinics and centers have unfortunately been targeted. Um, Don't be intimidated. This is worth it. The babies in the womb who are being slaughtered, 2,000 of them on a daily basis, they don't have a voice. They don't have political power. They don't have a way to protest. They don't have a way to advocate um, for their own rights. That's where we come in. We advocate for the babies. And as you'll hear us talk about today, we are also advocating for the moms in this. Um, So (laughs) you guys know I'm super passionate about this. This is as important as it has ever been. And I hope that you... Um, leave this feeling empowered because of what Allison is going to talk to us about and feeling encouraged and trusting the fact that if God is for us, who can be against us and that we serve a very powerful God and that the light does have the power to push back 
the darkness. All right, before we get into that conversation, let me tell you about our first sponsor for the day, and that is one of my favorites. It's Carly Jean Los Angeles. We got we talk about a lot on this podcast. We talk about the corporations that have gone woke in really just destructive ways. We talked about that yesterday with Target. It's getting harder and harder to find companies that sell products that we like and that we can feel good about supporting. But Carly Jean Los Angeles is a clothing company that you can feel really good about supporting. I'm wearing their shirt. I'm wearing their jeans right now, which I absolutely love. They've got three simple goals. They help women feel as beautiful as they already are. They simplify the shopping process and they provide beautiful quality pieces that can be worn in any season of life. Truly, their pieces can be worn during pregnancy, postpartum, not pregnant or postpartum. They can really be worn throughout the year. I absolutely love Carly Jean Los Angeles. They've got great customer service and great people that work with them. If you go to CarlyJeanLosAngeles.com, you can use promo code AllieB. You'll save 20% off your first order of anything in their store. That's Carly Jean Los Angeles, promo code AllieB. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. For those who may not follow you on Instagram, who may not be familiar, can you tell everyone who you are and what you do? Oh, you're so sweet. Um, so I'm Allison Senefonte. I have been working in the pro-life movement for over a decade and have had the privilege of working at great organizations, legal organizations in the pro-life movement, media, PR. And um, now I am running my own kind of consulting company, working with other pro-life groups because I have two babies now. So yes. I love media. I love figuring out how to take this message of life and make it make sense to people from, you know, your mom, my mom at home to like legislators. Um, this is the biggest, you know, human rights abuse of our time. So I'm really, I'm in it to win it. And we're really close to a little win here. Yeah. So it's been a very busy week, yes. um, even though I have like a 25 day old baby. <laughs> yes. We're going to talk about all of that. We're going to talk about Roe. We're going to talk about the reaction and what you think it means. You do do amazing work, especially as far as messaging and communication goes, which is like a huge, huge chunk of the battle is making our message clear and also compelling. And you have done a lot to advance that cause in that arena. So I'm very thankful for that. I want to talk first, though, about just like mom stuff and just to hear how you're doing. You said that you have a 25 day old and then your oldest is how old? She's a little bit older than two. She's she turned two in uh, May or March. Excuse me. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Okay. so tell me, tell us about the transition from one to two. Most people listening to this audience, listening to this podcast are, are moms. And so they get it and they, I'm sure, would love to hear your experience. I love it. No, it's so fun being in like the mom motherhood club, right? Like all of a sudden you're thrown in and it's like, okay, let me tell you everything. Here's my advice. Here's my best products. It's, it's good. Um, one to two has been interesting, but, um, I feel like God gives you like a supernatural strength. Yeah. Um, if you had told me like we could do what we do on little sleep, uh, I wouldn't believe you, but you know, you just, God gives you strength. Um, but Yeah, I want to focus on the good because I think that so often as moms, it's easy to like vent on the bad. I realize it's it's like war zone mentality, right? Like if you meet another mom that's in the foxhole, you're like, this is it. Like, this is tough. Like you're doing a great job, but like, this is hard. Yeah. But I never want, you know, someone who's not in the foxhole, like a young girl who's not married yet, doesn't have a kid to be freaked out by it. Right. Um, I still remember being at my first pro-life event in D.C., And there was a mom there with her little like baby, like infant. And I was like, how's it going? You know, I didn't know what to ask as a single girl. How's it going? And she said, this is so much fun. Like, this is so much fun. Yes. And I just was like, 
oh my gosh, that's the first time someone's given me like a really positive yes. reaction versus so this true. terrible, like sleep while you can and nah, 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 like negative thing. Yeah. So um, it's, I just want to focus on the good. I know it's going to go by fast. I know that it's a season, you know, like it's not going to be forever. And so um, thankfully I have little amazing women like you in the foxhole with me when, when it gets tough and when ear infections come, but yeah. like at the same time, it's the most beautiful, happy. I mean, it brings you to tears. Like some of these moments you get to experience as a mom. Yeah. I do think that the prevailing message, obviously this is something that we talk about on this podcast a lot, this idea of toxic mommy culture and how I think that there are just a lot of women, unfortunately on social media with a lot of influence who for likes and affirmation joke quote unquote, about how terrible being a mom is and what brats and burdens their kids are. But then they'll kind of caveat it by saying, oh, but you know, I love them. Of course I love them. Of course I'm going to take care of them. But it seems like the prevailing message is that motherhood really steals your identity and steals your purpose and steals your fulfillment, that it's like a break from who you really are and that you have to, you're basically like a victim of motherhood when really it should be the opposite prevailing message that motherhood is fun. Motherhood is fulfilling. Motherhood, once you become a mom, is who you are. It's not just like this break from your identity and purpose. And also caveat, it also is hard, but it's like the Mm -hmm. opposite. It's like the prevailing message is that it's really hard, but sometimes it's fun and you remember that you like your kids. Really, the dominant message should be that it's awesome. You love your kids so much. And also it can be hard, but it's a good hard, like in the same way that like, you know, when you stretch and you really need to stretch and it hurts, but it's a different kind of hurt from like an injury. It's a good kind of hurt, like stretching your muscles is like a good kind of pain. I think that's the Mm -hmm. same thing with motherhood. It's a good kind of hurt. And you're absolutely right. The messaging, the PR around motherhood (laughs) on social media is really bad. And I feel like that can contribute to a lot of the problems that we're seeing. Yeah. And you know, when I had grace, I kind of at a late night nursing session, just asked a bunch of my followers, like girls, what are you afraid of in pregnancy? And so many girls were like, I'm afraid of not being able to travel anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid of getting fat. I'm afraid of, you know, not getting to pursue my career. Like there was so much fear and it made me realize like, and I felt this too, a little bit before I got pregnant oh my gosh, even though I'm pro-life, even though I love the Lord and I know that I want to have kids and I want to have a family one day, that doesn't mean that I didn't grow up in a time where we're constantly getting this message Mm -hmm. of, you know, open any magazine at a nail salon, Allie, you know this, like every fifth ad is for contraception. And what does it say? Like your job is your career. You're not ready for a baby. Like take this pill and delay. And and these messages still permeated my mind and my spirit so that when I even wasn't a great, you know, married, happy, ready, I was freaking out. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is the great unknown. What's going to happen? And so it's normal for us as women, even though you're pro-life and you're believers to kind of be nervous. We've grown up in a time where, like you said, everyone is, is giving you this negative message. And it just, it took me some prayer and some time to connect my head and my heart. And God had to kind of really work in me to go, Allison, like this is my created order. This is good. I say that this is good. And if I say it's good, why, why would you not want to participate in it? Why would you not want to be a part of this great commission of creating? Um, 
and that I've carried that into pregnancy and, and to motherhood of like, I'm on a co-mission with God where I can't do this without him. Like I can't create without him. He has hands all over this and he needs me. And it's like this really neat partnership that men don't get to do. Yeah. And, you know, I want to, I want to honor that, that that's a big role. And, yeah. um, just like you said, you're stretching new muscles, but those muscles I'm more confident. Also, all you young women listening that are like in your twenties, I am the thirties rock motherhood rocks. I'm more confident now than I've ever been in my twenties. Something happens. It's really cool to step into. So I'm excited. I I, I love being a mom and um, talking to other moms, but um, yeah, there's a, there's also a book I'm I'm flipping through called mom genes. It's G E N E S. It's how your body and your mind changes in pregnancy and motherhood and creates this unique biological bond between mom and child. And it's not even a pro-life book. It's not even written by a believer. Um, but it just kind of reaffirms the beautiful, unique moment of pregnancy and motherhood. Yeah, there are so many aspects to it. There's just obviously such an intention there in the creation between mom and child and everything that goes on in pregnancy um, and the, just the connections that are established and already like the formation of a child's psychology and personality and brain, all of that stuff happens inside the womb, which kind of connects to everything that we're about to talk about. But first, before before we get into that, if you are willing, people love just in general, but I would say probably my <laughs> audience in particular, people love a good birth story. And you and I have talked about it a little bit. You can give as much or as little detail as you want um, in your last birth. But can you tell us just like a little bit about how that went? Like, when did the contractions start? All of that? How'd you feel after? And a little bit just about how postpartum has gone. Okay. Before anyone stops listening, because I hate birth stories. You do? I will not make... I do. I, I have I no desire them. to hear about the scariest moment or what went wrong. Um, I know. It's like a unique thing. Some women love it. Some don't. It's like well, Sim, cilantro. If you want to fast forward, y'all can definitely fast forward. Like if you're someone who is yeah. about to give birth for the first time and you don't want to think about like all the possible outcomes, that's fine. But at the same time, I'll keep it I positive. like them because yeah. I think that they're, they're educational and you don't know what could happen. And so I always think it's comforting to hear someone else's like someone else's scenario and that they did come out the other side. Like it's always, I I think it's comforting to think of the worst case scenario and to think, okay, well that person went through that and they are okay. So it's fine. And I, and that's how I'm going to color it too, because I actually wish I listened to more birth stories Mm. because I wasn't ready. I really wasn't ready for anything to go outside of what I expected. Yeah. But, um, so with my first, um, I, kind of had a moment of of fear where she had the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck when she was born. And and so they had to bring in the NICU and the reviver and it all took like a minute or two, but it felt very long. And that was a little scary. And so, um, I remember in that moment being like, God, like I want to hear her cry. And, um, and I named her grace in that moment. Cause I had a couple names, but I was like, God, give me like, give me grace. Like I need you to Mm -hmm. be kind to me right now. And so grace is doing wonderful. She's my two year old. Um, and then with hope, um, I know I'm building out a Christmas card here. No, I, I, love it. I just love these meaningful love names yeah. with hope. Um, she was born on April 13th and we, I went pretty far. I was 40 weeks and five days 
and went in and had to advocate for myself. I said, this is a big baby. They were telling me, Allie, that she was nine pounds, eight ounces. And for reference, uh, for everyone who doesn't know, Allison is very petite. So, (laughs) yes. I am somewhat like close to being a midget. I'm like five two. Um, For reference, Grace was, my first was five pounds, six ounces. She was a little baby. Yeah. So um, we go in and um, everything seems to be going well. But right, you know, any mom that has had a baby knows things can be really common. And all of a sudden they're like, all right, you really need to push. This needs to be urgent. And um, I was pushing really hard. And they said that her umbilical cord had torn at some point and her, both her shoulders were stuck. And so all of a sudden I just had these nurses really pushing down on my stomach to help get her out. And it got heightened. Did you have an epidural? I did. Thank God. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I chose to go that route. Um, respect to anyone who doesn't, but, um, they are are getting her out. They're really urgent. Allison, you need to yeah. push, push, push. And I'm uh, like, I, I'm trying. You're like, I am. And, <laughs> Trust me. Um, and you don't get practice, right? Like all of a sudden you're yeah. told to do something your body's never done. Yeah. So she came out again, not breathing. And I just thought, God, again, like yeah. again. And um, I couldn't look at her, Allie. This is actually the first time I'm sharing this with anyone. So um, I just, I couldn't look at her. I didn't know what was right in that moment. Um, the sweet nurse said, you can look at her. And I just thought, what am I looking at? Like, what yeah. is she breathing? It, do I want, if she's not breathing and I don't get to leave with her, do I want to see, do I not want to see? It was really crazy what's going on oh in your gosh, head. Yeah. And, and, um, my husband was calm, but I could see he's crying, but like a prayerful cry, like tearing up, you know, and I'm praying. And I just remember saying to God, like, Lord, do not forsake me in my time of need. Do not forsake me. Do not turn your face from me. Like, please, please let her cry and let her be okay. And, um, the NICU team came in and, and they got her to breathe and she wasn't doing great at the beginning, but by like five minutes, she was, she was breathing, like getting color tone. And I just was, I'm so blessed. I'm so yeah. lucky but it took me a week or two after delivery to process those emotions of like mm-hmm. all of that, that happening. And so I was just really grateful to be in, a and you know, in the situation where we did have a NICU team ready to help. And, um, and, you know, of course at the end, after all of the attention comes down, they're like, Oh, you know, babies are resilient. Like the, everyone says like, it's okay. It's okay. But they didn't know. I didn't yeah, know right at that time. So, um, yeah, I, I think for me, it was a lesson of, gosh, those desperate prayers, I think, yeah. are, are so powerful. And also, like, I had to walk through that. And I did share that some on Instagram and hopefully with your followers. And hopefully it encourages other moms. It's normal to have to process. Yeah, uh, There's a healing that happens in your body. But also, I think there's a healing that has to happen in your mind of that was a crazy. That was that that didn't go as I planned. And the what if game, we've talked about this, you know, what if I had gone in earlier or what if I didn't go in earlier or what if I chose to labor at home and all those what ifs can really torment you. So just praying and processing and saying it out loud so that other women can come around you in this like tribe was really, was really helpful for me. Yeah, it is. It is such a process of thinking back over your birth and thinking about those what ifs. I would say one year later, I'm, I still find myself sometimes thinking about that because both my births, people know who listen to this podcast, didn't 
go how I wanted them to go to unplanned and unwanted C-sections, one more necessary than the other. But I still think, I still think back to my first birth almost three years ago thinking, what if I had advocated for myself more? What if I had educated myself Mm -hmm. more? What if I had gone with the different doctor? There's so many different what ifs. And really the thing that just comforts me and brings me back, it's not this idea of, well, all that matters is healthy mom, healthy baby, which is ultimately true. Of course, that's what you ultimately want is healthy mom, healthy baby. But that doesn't mean that all of the other things leading up to the healthy mom, healthy baby didn't have an impact on you that you need to really work through. But still, even like working through those what ifs and working through like labor and all the scary moments, I have to remember that God planned it. I just have to, I just have to comfort myself with that, that God is sovereign over that, that he wasn't like watching my birth and thinking, ooh, what's going to happen next? Ooh, she should have done that. Or how is this going to work out? That's not how God functions. He is not on the linear timeline that we are. He wrote every single one of our days before any of them came to be, including my children's, by the way. And so the birth story, as as hard as they can be, they're exactly what... God ordained. And I just have to, I just have to trust that. Like that is my comfort at the end of it. When I find myself tormenting myself with all of the different hypotheticals and all of that. And I'm I'm thankful for that reality for sure. I'm so glad. No, thank you for sharing that. It's so big. I also think God can only teach you certain lessons through certain experiences. I remember I was looking at hope and thinking, is she looking at me correctly? Is she okay? Oh, maybe yeah. she didn't get enough oxygen. Oh yeah. You know, and like in the middle of the night being like, maybe they maybe she's not okay. And yeah. I started freaking out. And and I remember thinking, God, I just want her to be perfect. Yeah. And just like that, he went, So did I. I wanted all my kids to be perfect. Like I, but you guys aren't. <laughs> like we aren't his creation. Like, I'm not perfect. Like, I'm like, God, please make my daughter perfect. And he's like, that's not, that's, I made one perfect person, you know, I made one perfect person and that that's a lesson I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have hit in the same way unless I went through this. And, um, I remember just like thinking through how devastated I would be if I didn't leave with hope that day. And I've had to kind of struggle with God and be like, what if that was your will for me? Like, how would that wreck me? My faith, how would that trans, like, I, I know that that's a reality for some people, maybe for some people listening, like you didn't leave the hospital with a baby and I I can't even fathom the pain. And yet God reminded me that's what God went through. Yeah. God did make a perfect child and that child didn't make it. That, that child was killed. I mean, like lost his life for us, you know, and, and God had to look away like that pain that a parent could feel. I mean, love makes you vulnerable, right? Like mm-hmm. now you're vulnerable to that level of pain. And God's just been so good to remind me, like I went through that already. Like I did, I already went through separation from my kid and I'm with every parent that goes through that. And I would have been with you girl, you know? And, um, it's just, again, in some way, becoming a mom, a parent to, to a child helps you under, I don't know. You just have to build a different relationship with the Lord. He teaches you different things. It's really neat. 
All right, second sponsor for the day, and that is Cozy Earth. I absolutely love our Cozy Earth bedding. I'm always so excited when I get in bed and I can tell, ooh, these are my Cozy Earth sheets because they are so much softer than any other sheets that we own. They have the finest luxury materials, including soft viscous from highly sustainable bamboo. Their bedding is not only super soft, it's also lightweight and breathable, and it is temperature regulating. You sleep at the perfect temperature year round. They off, they're so confident that you are going to love their product that they actually offer a 100-night sleep trial, which means you have 100 nights to sleep on it, to wash it, to try it out. And if you are not totally satisfied, you get to uh, get all of your money back. You get to send your sheets back and you get a full refund. That is how sure they are that you are going to love their Cozy Earth sheets. They also have awesome loungewear that I love. Go to CozyEarth.com slash Allie. Enter code Allie at checkout. Save 35% right now. That's CozyEarth.com slash Allie for 35% off. CozyEarth.com slash Allie. On the one hand, it's like, it's, you know, it, it can be a little complex because obviously God is triune. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God. And so on the on the one hand, it's amazing thinking about God's love, like how much would he have to love us to send your child, to send your only son to die a gruesome death on the cross that he did not deserve What. I do. I don't love anyone enough outside of my family to sacrifice <laughs> my child. Like I would never do that. So like mm-hmm. how much does he love us that he would do that? And then in the other sense, you think about like how much God loves us to come down to like sacrifice himself um, on our, on our behalf that he loves his children so much that he would give himself and, pay the debt Mm. that we had to pay. So yeah, there is so much gospel significance. And then that's also true, like in adoption, we as Gentiles, we were adopted through Christ by God. And that's a beautiful picture of the gospel. And so is adoption here on earth, a picture of that. Um, All of this kind of brings into focus everything that you talk about and what we're really focusing on today. And that is the gift of motherhood, the importance and the value of life inside the womb and what we're seeing right now and the reaction to the possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned from the pro-abortion, pro-choice side. And that is what looks like total pro-death rapidity, like the the protest, the reaction, the vitriol that we are seeing about the possibility of abortion now just being a question of state legislation. Um, it's out of control. And we're going to play some clips um, just looking at some of the the protests and the reaction that we've seen. But like, what's your what's your take on all of that? What have what have you thought as you've been seeing the responses from the pro-choice left after this news came out, especially as a postpartum mom? I mean, that's hormonal and emotional anyway. So how is that going? (laughs) Yeah, no, the the emotions and hormones have made me think like, can someone tell Amy Coney Barrett to go into hiding with her children? Like, like the children protect her. And that's, that's where my head went. As soon as I, the leak was happened and now we're seeing these protests all over the country at the Supreme court, I've got friends down there that are pro-life and are standing their ground. It is wildly violent. And, and, and friends have even texted me that aren't even in the pro-life movement, Allie saying it feels weird in DC. Like when you go by the Supreme court, it just feels heavy. Cause there's that, that big fence in front of the Supreme court too. Yeah. Yeah. They finally put up an appropriate barricade when they first put up the bike racks. I was like, please, these are bike racks. Like, please protect these justices. Yeah. You know, the reality is heaven. If something should happen to one of these justices, um, but th- that decision at the draft that we saw would not stand. I mean, it's, it's, 
that would change everything. And so, um, I think it's outrageous that we have leaders that are not condemning what's taking place across the country. They're, they are encouraging violence and vandalism by their silence and by their lack of concern yeah. for emergency resource centers, for the justices themselves. I mean, this the fact that even I think Politico ran the leak is questionable, knowing totally. that it would ramp up and incite such vitriol. Yeah. Um, this, and we know these people in these groups. Yeah, we know. We, we face this. I mean, anybody will tell you what it looks like outside of the court on an oral argument day or decision day and yeah. what side is loving and winsome and kind and what side is real is is pretty hot and and pretty sensitive to any pushback and, and encouraging and, yeah 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 absolutely yeah and people people have seen it there were several protests outside of churches um over the weekend there was this horrible demonstration that we won't even show on here of the pro-abortion activist she had some kind of like white leotard on and she had stuffed dolls like in her mm -hmm. leotard she was in front of a catholic church and she was like taking the dolls out of her leotard saying that she's killing babies she's killing babies um and so and that's not just one person i mean we've seen several churches unfortunately protested in front of not just like peaceful protest but we're talking like you said a lot of vitriol and um, there was an organization called Ruth Sent Us which obviously is a pro-abortion organization they published the home addresses of the justices online the obvious intent there is not I don't think just to get people to protest but to try to get those people the justices to feel intimidated and Jin Saki was asked about this last week by Fox News in a press conference and uh, her response was just incredible. She said, I think our view here is that peaceful protest, there's a long history in the United States and the country of that. And we've certainly encouraged people to keep it peaceful and not to resort to any level of violence. The president's view is that there is a lot of passion, a lot of fear, a lot of sadness from many, many people across the country about what they saw in that leaked document. We obviously want people's privacy to be respected. We want people to protest peacefully if they want to protest. That is certainly what the president's view would be so she doesn't outright condemn the home addresses of the justices um being published she does say okay that they want it to be peaceful but look people are really sad people are really passionate about this and then she was asked about this again i'll play this clip um when she was asked about okay well what about these protests in front of people's houses what do you think about that here's what jen saki had to say so I know that there's an outrage right now, I guess, about uh, protests that have been peaceful to date. And we certainly continue to encourage that outside of judges' homes. And that's the president's position. So they're fine. They're actually they're actually fine with these protests happening outside of justices' homes. And I'm sorry, I'm going to let you react to this. But I first want, I want to play some of the clips of this happening outside of Chief Justice Roberts's home, out of Kavanaugh's home, and out of Alito's home. Here's what that looks and sounds like. Court. 
Oh my gosh. So, okay, these are private residences. We know that Kavanaugh and Barrett, they've got little children. I mean, they've got young children. Barrett obviously has a young son, I think 10 years old with special needs. The mm-hmm. the just absolute demonic look of these people and also the irony of what they're saying. There was, I think it was in front of Roberts' house saying, you don't care if people die. Do you know what abortion is? Allison, like, let's... Let's just Ugh. unpack this. What do you think about yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad you're showing that, Allie, because no one is seeing that. That is not on mainstream media. Like, you're not hearing about what's going on and, and, it, and seeing how potentially dangerous this could be. I'm so saddened to think of the state of affairs that people could actually stand outside a Supreme Court justice's house that was doxxed, essentially. Like, we're doxing Supreme Court justices and saying, you don't care if people die. I mean, That is what we're dealing with, with abortion and the confusion. I look at that with pity. Like, I don't even get angry. I look at these people with pity because there's so much misinformation out there. There's so much that they've been lied to about and that they think that, number one, overturning Roe is going to make abortion illegal. It doesn't. You've talked about this in depth. They don't understand what Roe is. They don't understand what it does or what overturning it will do. And they're also following people who don't understand. They're listening to influencers. Even some of the media has been so bad about talking about what Roe would do and what happens if states get to pick abortion policy uh, based on their own constituents. So it's just blind leading the blind. And ultimately, when I look at that mob, I think this is utter selfishness. Like abortion is the ultimate act of selfishness. And then you have these people that have to justify this act with rage. And you talk about this in your book. You know, you talk about how People that have had self as their ultimate God end up like Mm -hmm. this. Like you have to, if something happens in the narrative that's not in line with what they, the the leaders, the elite are saying, you have to act out in rage. And look, everyone has a right to free speech. You have a right to activism, but you don't have a right to violence and vandalism. And what we're seeing at the, the, you know, the video that you talked about, which it kind of kept me up last night, the woman, it's, it's very weird to have people acting the way they do and, and just threatening, you know, F Alito and all of the the anger. It's like, we could use that energy. Talk about passion, Allie. We could use that energy and that passion to solve real problems that women face, to solve real problems that families are facing. But instead, because the left is funded by big abortion, that energy is used to defend the right, so-called right to dismember your child. And that's heartbreaking. Um, that said, I think we in the pro-life movement have to realize that abortion is so prevalent and restricting abortion affects people's lives in such a way that they act out like this, this selfish. I think we're going to have to realize that our arguments are going to have to get more individualized and more okay with tailoring it to a specific person. For example, we know prenatal development facts change hearts and minds, right? We know talking about the abortion procedure changes hearts and minds, but there are still people in a post-Roe world who are going to know prenatal development facts. They are going to acknowledge that this is a child. They are gonna acknowledge that they could choose life if they wanted to, that there's pregnancy resource centers willing to support them. All of the things that we historically as the pro-lifers know can get someone to choose life that are still going to be so selfish to say, I don't care. I don't care. I do what I want. And you've seen this. You can find it on Twitter in a second. Uh, 
I don't care. I know what that is. It's my right to kill that child. And so I've been talking to some of my friends about this, just like we evangelize to the individual, right? If someone is asking me about God, I'm going to figure out why, why are they asking what's going on in their life with a pro abortion individual? I'm going to have to figure out what is their main what what's their main concern? It's individual evangelism of the pro-life message. It's saying, okay, you act, and you did this a little bit with the, you know, quote unquote pro-choice pastor, figuring out where do you draw the line? Okay. Um, why there? Okay. Um, maybe for a woman, it's going to be, I am afraid of this abusive relationship. All right. Now I know where your core concern is and I can help you with that relationship while helping you choose life. Like we're going to have to realize there's going to be a level of selfishness to people in a post-row world that our proselytization of the pro-life message has to be tailored to that. I told you earlier, I've got women in my DM say, I just don't want to get pregnant because I don't want to lose my body or I don't want to lose out on travel. Okay. I'm going to have to learn how to talk to her in a language that makes sense for her and helps her choose life because she's She's focused on that one thing, even though I think it might be a little selfish, right? Like, so I think it shows also the humility of a, of a woman who is post-abortive and is talking about it. Anyone out there at these protests who is post-abortive is angry because someone's threatening their ability to justify their previous act. I know plenty of post-abortive women who are, would never be acting out like that, would never be violent. They're still, they need, you know, they're going through healing. It's the ultimate act of humility to say, I... I had an abortion or I aided in, in an abortion, it was wrong and I'm gonna use my story to save lives. That is very hard for people to do and we have to realize that that's actually what we're asking a lot of these people to do, is admit that they either are post-abortive or they aided and helped someone get an abortion and that's gonna be a big weight for them to carry and it's gonna be up to us to help them through that get healing. All right, let me tell you guys about Annie's Kit Clubs. You've heard me talk about them a lot, and maybe you've been considering getting their uh, subscription craft service for your kids. Now is the time to just go ahead and do that. You're thinking about all the days that your kids are gonna be home this summer. You want them to be entertained when they wanna get in out of the heat, but you don't wanna just stick them in front of a screen for hours on end. So why not make sure that they're doing something inside that is actually productive, that's helping them be problem solvers and be creative and be critical thinkers. That is why Annie's Kit Clubs exists. If your kids are into crafting or woodworking or STEM projects or you want them to be, then Annie's Kit Clubs has a membership for them. Your kids can learn new skills, express themselves, and gain confidence. And if you use my link, annieskitclubs.com slash Allie, you get 75% off your first shipment. All subscriptions are month to month. You can cancel at any time. Go to annieskitclubs.com slash Allie for 75% off the first month. That's annieskitclubs.com slash Allie. We're just dealing with so many cultural trends that kind of are manifesting itself in people's like rabid defense of abortion. I do think that that's part of it. Women who have had abortion, it's very difficult and very vulnerable to say that it was wrong if that's something that you did, because then you have to deal with the guilt. Like you have to deal Mm -hmm. with the fact that you did something wrong. So it's much easier. And this is true of all mistakes that people make. It's much easier to try to justify it, to try to rationalize it, to get validation from people who tell you that it was not a mistake, that you did nothing wrong, that you just did what you had to do. And that is certainly prevalent in this whole self-empowerment, what I call the trendy narcissism culture, that there's no such thing 
there's no such thing really as sin. There's no such thing as doing something wrong. There's no such thing as you having a flaw. Everything is just kind of a quirk. Everything is just kind of a facet of your perfection. And we can't really talk about what it actually means to do something that is wrong. We can't talk about good versus evil. So really, it's a very fundamentally, almost like theological conversation that we are having, whether someone is a Christian or not. It all does come down to what you think about what you think about God, if you believe in him or not. So if you think that there is a bigger moral authority that we have to ascribe to or not, it all comes down to who you think human beings are. Are human beings just clumps of meaningless matter? Or are they individuals? Are they people with value? Are they people with rights? It really does all come back to, no matter who you're talking to or what situation they're in, it comes Mm -hmm. back to, the baby. It comes back to humanity. It comes back to human nature and human rights. And that's just always what I encourage people. If you can give someone like a rule of thumb, which as you said, that's hard because every individual is different. All of their arguments and their experiences are different. But if there is one rule of thumb, it's to bring it back to the baby. Like there are so many posts that go around. I'm pro Becky. I'm pro Jessica, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And they just they just completely ignore the reality that, okay, no matter what justification you're trying to give, abortion still intentionally kills a child. And that is really the only question that matters. Do you think it is okay to sometimes kill an innocent person or not? And if you think it's okay in the instance of abortion, why? What is the difference between a baby in the womb and a baby outside of the womb? Tell me. Mm -hmm. And I do think just like asking those questions getting people to think about why they justify abortion, um, that can that can really help because the reality is most people who defend abortion have never really thought about it. They've just never really thought about it because there's so much propaganda out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll tell you a story. One time I was in Times Square in New York and um, I was going to show people the abortion procedure video. It's an you know, animated medical animation of an abortion. And I thought I'm going to get punched in the face. Like I'm gonna, this is gonna be a bad day. Yeah. I had this tablet, I had, you know, the headphones and I went and I said, you know, I'm doing a project on reproductive rights. Can I ask you a few questions? You say, yes. Can you watch this three minute video? They put the headphones on and they watch this video. I was like ready to run. No one took the headphones off Allie. No one stopped the video. Wow. All different types of people. Black, white, young, old, female, male, every, no one stopped it. And I, they would, the video would be done. So it would show it was an abortionist, you know, showing uh, what he does through a medical animation, what happens to the baby, integrating some prenatal facts. And at the end of the video, I would just pause. I wanted to hear their first reaction. They'd take the headphones off and they'd go, I had no idea. Yeah. To a T, I had no idea. And I'd stay silent and they would just be processing and they're going, how come I never knew this? Right. How come, what, do we show this? Do our legislators know this? Like, do teachers, like, do women know this? And that was powerful for me to see because before I showed the video, I'd say, would you consider yourself pro-life, pro-choice or neither? And majority in New York city said pro-choice, but then they watch the video and they're, there's like a thorn in their side, right? There's like a stone in their shoe. They're like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. And so I didn't get punched that day. I was safe and sound, thank God. But it remind, I have to go back to that. 
like you're saying, you have to go back to the baby in every argument because people are talking about abortion without ever looking it up, without ever watching a video of what it is. They have not thought about the child. They have not thought about the procedure. Like, and once they get educated, they start moving down that spectrum. And we know, we know polling actually supports this. When asked, do you support Roe v. Wade? Um, and you hear this in the media all the time, like more people support Roe than don't. They'll say they support it. But if you start really, you know, um, hashing that out and asking what restrictions people are in favor of, you know, where do you draw the line? A majority, like I think it's 69 percent of women believe that abortion should be available at most only in the first three months of pregnancy and only in cases of rape, incest, save life of the mother. Like there's a large group of people that would say there's restrictions that need to be in place. Yeah. They're not as pro-abortion as they claim to be. Yeah. So, um, only and that 19%, on, again, only, only 19% according to Pew Research believe that abortion should be legal in all circumstances. Now, again, a large chunk of people do think that it should be legal in some or most circumstances, but the, the radical groups that you hear most from, only 19% believe that it should be, which is honestly way too high, but it should be legal yeah. through nine months without any exceptions. But honestly, like that is the position now of the mainstream Democratic Party. I want to play this clip of Beto O'Rourke, who is running for governor in Texas. He's asked about this. He's asked, hey, do you think that there should be any exceptions on abortion, which again is a radical and rare position among Americans, but Democrats now, this is the position that they are publicly taking, which is wild. So here's what our friend uh, Beto had to say. You're a progressive hero. There are so many people around the country who admire you and your leadership. Do you believe in any limitations on abortion, whether it's the third trimester or up until even the final months, nine months? I think Roe versus Wade, which we should remind ourselves is still the law of the land today, is the 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 reference point that I would look to, and the the way I think I can best express this is that I trust women. We should all trust women to make their own decisions that are in their best interest for themselves, for their health care, and for their future. Allison, like even they are uncomfortable in stating their position. Even they know that saying, yes, I am for abortion to the point of a baby, an eight pound baby crowning. Like they mm -hmm. know that they can't really say it in the same way that the pro-abortion side like Planned Parenthood knows that they can't say what the abortion procedure is. If you go on their website, it says terminates the pregnancy or removes pregnancy tissue. The truth hurts the pro-choice side. And yeah. even politicians like Beto O'Rourke, even though he is essentially saying he is for the choice of abortion through nine plus months of pregnancy, they can't say it like they can't articulate it because yeah, they know yeah. if people really knew the majority of Americans would not be for it. Yeah. And that's why Roe being overturned is so powerful because yeah. it's the shield they hide behind. I mean, so true. I've been working in this long enough, you know, too. you know, you have politicians that are like, oh, I'm pro-life, but, you know, Roe's law of the land. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, it's not going to go far because of Roe. Mm. And I've got, you know, I've got pro-life Christians in my inbox saying, well, Come on, what what are big deals if if we overturn Roe? That's not what we should be focusing on. You know, stop being so political. To really take care of women. And I'm like, you clearly don't understand what we're doing, what time no. it is, and how much right. has been happening in the last 40 years to secure the ability to pass pro life legislation. Like, I get it. Like, you know, 
policy isn't the only thing that matters, like, but policy matters, like you said, because people matter. So we want to create good pro-life policy, but these politicians pro even pro-life ones stand behind Roe is the law of the land. What you heard Beto say, I mean, and look, Beto's no like, you know, heroic masculine figure. That's I think looking Mm -hmm. out to protect women and children. So we shouldn't set our policies by him, but that is a revealing clip. You can add it onto a long litany of other audio and video we have of the pro boards essentially not being able to say, that they would stop an abortion of a nine month old child, that they would protect a child after it was survived an abortion. It's a callous, corrupt, it's an inhumane position that they've taken and they all stand by it. Hook, line and sinker. If you deviate just a little bit, like maybe even like a Tulsi Gabbard did, you are out, you are done. You do not get to be a part of our party unless you are okay with abortion, unlimited, fully funded by the taxpayer dollar at any point. And I think that's because they've hidden behind these lies, like it'll save the life of the mom. Uh, you know, women will die from back alley abortions. They've really, really, you know, messaged well to their movement. That's why we have to protect abortion at all costs. Yeah. So that's what the pro-life movement is up against right now is us pushing back and saying, okay, you're concerned about the life of the mother. I hear that. Let me talk to you about why abortion is not medically necessary. Yeah. Okay. Let's yeah. talk about these high risk cases. Let's go there. So we, if we can get past that, and, and I've talked to some friends in the movement who are social media directors, and I said, what are you, what are you hearing? What's, what are you getting in your DMs? What? And they're saying even pro-lifers are still nervous a little bit about messaging on, you know, life of the mother, um, some of the rape stuff. So making yeah. sure, guys, that we know our answers there, that we've thought this through, that we are compassionate in our response and truthful, and that we're protecting both the woman and the child is going to be crucial, I think, in the year and years ahead. Yeah, let's walk through that just a little bit, if we can, just kind of giving um, some brief talking points on that question, because I do think that that is the most difficult thing. So one thing that we hear and we're seeing with all these protesters with like the hangers and you're hearing them say you can only ban safe abortion or like legal safe abortion. You can't ban abortion. So if you ban abortion, then that's just going to cause women to go into the back alley and then you have two people dying. Like they probably don't even admit that it's, you know, people dying, but they would say that harms women. So what do you say to that? Because of course, as pro-lifers, like we want to protect the lives of women, even the women who are choosing to get abortions. So what's, what's the response to the point that, oh, it is safer for everyone if abortion is legal? Well, let me just say like that question is something that was a big question mark for me when I started, you know, in the pro-life movement. I don't know if it was a movie I saw or a show, but I had this idea, Allie, that there could be a moment in pregnancy where the mom is in the hospital and she's sweating and she's about to die and the dad has to decide, does the baby die or does the mom die and who am I picking? Do you know what I mean? Like, I thought that that was a reality and I've talked to pro-life OBGYNs, our friends at the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. I'm like, does that happen? Like. And they're like, no, listen, if there is a high risk circumstance, we try and save them both. That is the goal is to save the baby and the mom. If that pregnancy, if that child needs to be separated from the mom in order to bring her blood pressure back down or whatever it may be, we want to separate them through early delivery or C-section in hopes that they both live. Now, this is a pro-life OBGYN saying this. And obviously, if it's a little early in the term, if it's a 20 week old baby, their chances of survival are very slim, but that is very different than intentionally dismembering that child 
in order to separate it from the mother. Right. And so that helped me a lot because I, I feel that for them. If you're conf- if you don't understand this, you are concerned. What, what happens in those circumstances? We know women get preeclampsia. We know there's hard um, yeah. pregnancy. Even outcomes. before viability, you know, 20 right. weeks, a 20 week baby probably most likely can't live outside the womb, even with medical help. But if the mom has to live, what you're saying is that even if the baby can't live outside the womb, you still deliver, you still deliver the baby, even knowing that unfortunately, tragically, that baby will die. That is different than purposely mm-hmm. stopping the heartbeat of that child, which is typically what happens in the second trimester abortion, putting a needle into the woman's abdomen, into the uterus and stopping the heart of that child, killing that child and then taking the child out. That's different. That's different. One is intentional murder and one is unfortunately the necessary treatment and consequence of trying to save the woman's life. So that's two that's two different things, right? Right. And there's actually a whole field of healthcare dedicated to that moment. It's called perinatal and palliative care. Mm-hmm. You prepare for that. You know, if especially say the child has like a an abnormality or a fatal abnormality, palliative care and perinatal care is treating the womb like a hospice and creating a moment when that child is born that you can remember um, and and provide closure to the family. So like you said, if that child is born early, we would still try and capture pictures. We would still try and we would try and give it a chance at life. And if it, it can't make it, we would make memories. Right. And so I'll always remember I was at this big rally in Virginia and a nurse shared a story of two sisters that both had a, a negative pregnancy diagnosis and outcome that their child would not make it long after birth. One sister made the decision to abort and the other sister chose to bring that child to term to term as long as she could and provide palliative care. So taking care of it, taking pictures, capturing its heartbeat, um, you know, it was and she said, this nurse says, I will never forget the sister that aborted said, I have a secret and my sister has a story. Mm. I have a secret to keep and my sister has a story to share. Mm. And I thought that was beautiful because that is a hard moment. Um, again, leaving the hospital without your, your newborn, but the data reflects that it's better for women's mental health, that they would have those moments with their child versus allowing someone to go in and dismember and destroy your child. Um, so those are big cases. And so I think it's important as a pro-lifer, you try and find some common ground there and go, yeah, that would be a crazy experience, you know, if that were the case, but I want you to know, I've looked into it and that's not, I've talked to OBGYNs, neonatologists, all this information is available online. And you can say it is, you do not need abortion to save the life of the mother. It's not medically necessary. You can separate them. That's very different with an early delivery. Um, but it's different than the intentional dismemberment of a child. And I think that that will help them understand that you have a heart too. You're not just being callous saying, say la vie, the baby is more important than the mom. No, we're just saying the baby is just as important as the mom. All right, last sponsor for the day, and that is Birch Gold. You guys know our economy is not in great shape, and there's a lot that may or may not happen in the future. It's just really unpredictable, and we want to make sure that we are as secure as we can possibly be financially. That means that you need to take some of your profits from the stock market now and solidify them with gold from Birch Gold. Throughout history, gold has maintained its value better than any other investment 
in the world. So there's zero obligation to get their info kit. You might as well learn more about it. It can't hurt. It can only help. Text Allie to 989-898. Secure the gains you've made while you can. Join the thousands of happy Birch Gold customers by going to uh, by texting Allie to 989 for that free info kit 989-898 Allie to 989-898 and there are also a lot of um, there's a lot of misinformation about certain state bills that are coming out right now um, about ectopic pregnancies and the DNC procedure that is necessary for um, miscarriages. Some people are saying that, oh, these bills are going to ban treatment for ectopic pregnancies. There was a lot of misinformation from the mainstream media about a Missouri bill that that was going to stop the treatment of ectopic pregnancies. Some people have believed because the medical coding um, can code uh, a miscarriage as a spontaneous abortion that that's going to stop DNC. Look, none none of that is true. I actually originally thought that the Missouri bill did ban the treatment of ectopic pregnancy. So I, as a pro-lifer who wanted to give the benefit of the doubt, I thought that too. But then I realized that's not actually true. That's not what's going on. There was um, secularprolife.org, I think that's the website, they did a whole write-up on this. They did a, a fact check on this. And basically, they explained that three different bills in Missouri are kind of coming together. And what it is stopping is outside states providing illegal tools for a woman to perform an abortion at home. It had nothing to do with ectopic pregnancies. It had nothing to do with miscarriages. Um, the same thing in Louisiana. This is not stopping the treatment of miscarriages. It is not stopping the treatment of ectopic pregnancies. If these bills were doing that, I would also be against them. Like we would also mm -hmm. be speaking out about that because treating an ectopic pregnancy where the baby is in the fallopian tube cannot survive. It's very dangerous for the mother as well. That is not the same thing as purposely killing the child. The child has to be removed. Same thing with a miscarriage in which a child naturally dies and then you have to move the child or remove the child who is already dead. These are not abortions. And if anyone says that, if someone is like talking to you and says, oh, well, this is going to ban the care, the, the care of miscarriages, you tell them, you make them link the exact bill and copy and paste the exact sentence of the legislation that bans miscarriage care or bans ectopic pregnancies. Because most people saying that, they're just throwing it out there. But you make them mm -hmm. cite it. You make them cite it specifically because the reality is it's just not true. That's not what is happening. Yeah. There's so much information floating around. I really wish there was just like a board or like a committee that could like squash this misinformation. You know, I really yeah. wish that was out there. Yeah. Oh, they're not going <laughs> to like it. When Ron DeSantis becomes president and that disinformation board is still there, you and I are going to sit yeah. on it and we're going to talk about the reality of abortion, aren't wonderful. we? Wonderful. That would be wonderful. Yeah. If only someone was dedicated to saying that's not true. That's not what this does. <laughs> I mean, the ectopic pregnancy and miscarriage thing has flown around the the internet. And it's so outrageous to me for a couple reasons. One, it's a complete lie. No piece of legislation and no pro-life leader would ever support limiting the ability to treat an ectopic pregnancy or manage your, your miscarriage. I mean, we all know women who have miscarried. We may know women who have had an ectopic pregnancy. That is never threatened by pro-life legislation. There's either particular caveats that are written into it to protect it just to make sure. Um, 
And again, you're like you said, we would be outraged if a piece of legislation would threaten the ability to um, handle a miscarriage or an ectopic pregnancy. The what gets confusing, and you talked about this with the coding. Um, and I was talking to a healthcare professional this morning who said, "Yeah, it does get confusing because the word abortion—it's a medical term. Uh, a spontaneous abortion, though, is different than an elective abortion. And um, and it, it, they're completely confident in their ability to provide treatment for ectopic pregnancies and miscarriage management. So." Um, I also want to point out, though, to the left, and this could be good for someone arguing on this point. It's been surprising to me to see the left so focused on ectopic pregnancy and so concerned about the so-called inability to get treatment. And here's why. And also the back alley abortion. They've been really using those two things. They're so concerned about at-home back alley abortions and this. Okay. Well, then why is the abortion industry the one that's advancing the idea of at-home, do-it-yourself abortions? So true. If they're so concerned about back alley, yeah. unsupervised abortions and women dying from ectopic pregnancies, why, uh, why is the pro-abortion industry the one creating websites, Plan C, how yeah. to do an at-home managed abortion? abortion. Mail. Yeah. Why did they, during COVID, Allie, fight the FDA to be able to get the abortion pill to women without an in-person doctor's visit. Yeah. An in-person doctor's visit would have made sure that you didn't have an ectopic pregnancy. Hopefully, if you went to a good provider, it actually wasn't required, shockingly. But if you take the abortion pill and you do have an ectopic pregnancy, you could rupture your fallopian tube, hemorrhage at home, and you would have no idea to die. Yeah. You would, you would think this is, I mean, you tell me what's a normal amount of blood to lose during an abortion. Right. I don't know. Do you know? Yeah. I don't. So you would have women at home hemorrhaging and they think this is normal. And, and you can't know. even, you can't drive yourself to the hospital either. Are you going to be able to call 911? Who knows? And even Who if knows? you can't call 911, they don't know what just happened. If you're passed out. I mean, this is literally a disaster. And so many pieces of state legislation, yeah. like abortion legislation from Maryland, New Jersey, and all of that, like one key piece of all these pro-abortion pieces of legislation is that it deregulates it. It's It takes away any regulation that would force an abortion clinic to be by a hospital, or in some cases, midwives can, can perform abortions instead right. of doctors. So you're absolutely right. Democrats are totally in the business of making it less safe for the woman who is getting the abortion. Right, right. And this kind of goes back to that, like, fine, let me talk to you about like a selfish, it's about you now, sister. Like, it's about you. Like abortion, you need to realize is dangerous. It is, it is threatening to your life. It is threatening to your future fertility. And the abortion industry that's pushing it on you does not care. Like no. you said, they have, they have fought against every single type of regulation, in, including, you know, making the hallways wide enough for a gurney to get through. They've thought they've fought against that. Yes. They are right now. If you think about it, the Atlantic, all these others are saying, this is the future. The next frontier is at home abortions. That is the back alley abortion that you are you guys are saying you're so worried about. These women are going to be alone. So the FDA has already reported that 24 women have died at least from that abortion pill and now it's you can get it more easily, you can order it online and to make matters worse, they're saying that if you do have complications, go to the hospital, like you said, how, maybe drive yourself and say that you're just miscarrying. Wow. So now we don't even have the data. We won't have, we don't have good data now and we'll continue to have bad data because women are saying I miscarried. They're not being told to say I took the abortion pill. I might be hemorrhaging. They're saying 
just say that you miscarried because we don't want them to ask questions about what happened to your pregnancy. Yeah. It's very dangerous. So I say that with ectopic pregnancies, if you're very concerned about the ability to treat ectopic pregnancies, you're concerned about back alley abortions, let's talk about how risky it is for the pro-abortion industry to be acting like ectopic pregnancy isn't real by pushing the abortion pill into women's homes where they could rupture alone. They don't have these in-person doctor's visits and they're essentially doing what you're afraid of, which is administering an abortion to themselves with permission and encouragement from the abortion industry who has already killed countless women, Tanya Reeves, women at Kermit Gosnell's office. They do not care about you like the pro-life movement cares about you and wants to protect you from this. Yeah. I heard someone make a good point the other day that they were like, yeah, I don't want you to have a coat hanger abortion either. That's what we're speaking out against. We don't want you to have an abortion. And it's also, yeah. it's not a good argument because that's not an argument for making the murder of a child legal because then you could say that about anything. Okay, well, murders or theft or anything is more dangerous if you make it illegal. Like you could argue that. So does that mean that we should make everything that is wrong legal because it is safer for the person that is perpetrating the crime? Like that's just not, it's not even good logic, but you raise such a good point. The Democratic Party is also not interested in the safety of women. And I think uh, Biden's Treasury Secretary, and we're going to have to close out, even though I'm sure we could talk for another hour, but Um, Biden's Treasury Secretary also, she kind of just spoke the quiet part out loud, if you could even consider the quiet part. In a hearing, she said that she believes that um, that abortion, limiting access to abortion is going to hurt the country economically. Now, these are the same people who called conservatives grandma killers for saying, hey, I don't think that we should close down every small business because of COVID. I don't think that's going to protect old people. We were told that focusing on the economy at all during COVID, that that was deadly, that that was callous. Now these people are saying, oh, actually, you have to sacrifice children on the altar of the economy. I don't even think this is a true statement, by the way. We both work. We have children. They have such a low view, such a low view of women, of women's physical safety and their ability to do all the things that God has called us to do. Yeah, beautifully said. I mean, two words, demographic winter, right? Like the the globe is dealing with a lack of children. Mm. It's not just us. That that her statement does not stand strong. I mean, the the economies of other nations are being disrupted because they don't have enough children to support their aging population. They are incentivizing conception weekends in other parts of the world because they're like, we need children. We have too many aging people. We don't have children to support our economy. So that that falls flat on its face. You can look into it. That is a fascinating um, part, I think, of the pro-life movement to look at. Like, yeah, we it is a problem when you don't create enough children. But number two, I'm so sick and tired of this argument that we have to solve other societal problems before we stop the violence of abortion. Yeah. You see this going around. Oh, come on. Paid, we need paid maternity leave, universal health care. We need to, you know, fix our uh, justice system. We need to make sure that there's health insurance, all these things before we stop abortion. Um, first off, I can probably partner with you on half of those things. Like, yeah, let's look at maternity leave. Yeah. Let's look at the policies. Yeah, let's work together on those things for sure. But we need to stop the violence immediately. 2,000 lives are going to be lost today to abortion. Yeah. We don't see this in other human rights cases, Allie. We exactly. don't see this. I always challenge people to replace abortion with like 
say sex trafficking. Hey, there's a victim. She's about to be raped and tortured and abused. Okay, but we could stop sex trafficking right now. Or should we make sure she has like a job and health insurance and can drive and read and stuff before? No, we would say stop this act right now. Yeah. Right now we're done. And so I would apply that to the abortion argument and and say to your listeners to do the same. We must stop the violence against children. Let's work together on solutions to support women and families. We're doing that. The pro-life movement is already doing that. But we have to stop the violence. We cannot act like there's excuses, the economy or broken systems to justify what's happening in our country. Yeah. Unfortunately, all of the all the work that pro-lifers do before, during, and after pregnancy is not just ignored, but is actually actively inhibited by some radical pro-abortion activists. I mean, we saw the Concerned Woman for America headquarters that that was vandalized. I don't know if we we might have some pictures to put up. Uh, The Wisconsin Family Action Center in Madison, Wisconsin, that was vandalized with graffiti. It was firebombed. Pregnancy Resource Center in Northern Virginia, vandalized with graffiti. Oregon Right to Life, Uh, There was an arson attempt there. So we're seeing domestic terrorism against Mm -hmm. pro-life organizations. Domestic terrorism, in some ways, I would argue, or at least illegal intimidation of the justices that's happening in front of their homes from this pro-abortion side. These pro-life centers, all they are doing, they're doing the very things that the left accuses us of never doing, which is going (laughs) beyond being pro-birth and actually helping these women have the resources that they need to thrive along with their children. But it really does become, like you see, that this is not really a left versus right issue. This really is light versus dark. This is really the truth versus the lies. This is pro-death versus pro-life. That's that's what's going on here. And I just hope and pray that no matter what happens with Roe v. Wade, that people, that God allows people to see the sharp dichotomy that's at play, to see the spiritual battle that's at play. This is a matter of life versus death. This is a matter of good versus evil. And I just hope that the evil that we do see awakens people to the reality of what's really going on here. Yeah, beautifully said. And, you know, I think I last saw that PRCs provide over $260 million of resources every year. And it's very ironic that the side of the argument that's constantly saying, take care of these children is also bombing the places that are taking care of these children. Right. I mean, we are trying to get care to women, resources to women, counsel to women and doing it more often and for free, by the way, these are all free resources. And now the left is targeting these very facilities, like you said, with Molotov cocktails. Um, I was reading in Wisconsin, just to end on a God note here, one of those Molotov, the Molotov cocktail that was thrown in did not go off. Mm. And I read that in the article and I thought that's such a God wink. Like that's our God, right? He's like, okay, that's not going to go off now because it did have fire. It started a small fire inside of it, but it could have been worse. And I just think you know, God was looking out for them, but the violence, the vandalism has to stop. We need to pray for these places. Like you said, it is a spiritual battle we've always been up against, but right now we have just a very bright light shining in the darkness. And what happens? Preachers freak out (laughs) when you shine a light in the dark, when you're sitting over the target, the shots get really intense. My, my dad always told me that I know you have a good relationship with yours. You know, my dad said, when I first started in DC, he said, look, when you're over the target is when the shots are going to get fired. Mm. And I think the pro-lifers are feeling that right now. We're sitting over the target. Shots are being fired, but we got to stay strong. Yeah. We're right there. And we know what we're up against. Yeah. Don't back down. Double down. Be 
courageous in this and take the courage of other people and allow it to be yours. Borrow someone else's courage and stand up. It really is a matter of life and death. Thank you for emulating that for us and representing that for us and giving us so many good points and also being vulnerable just about motherhood and everything. I think this episode is going to be so encouraging for so many people. Uh, People can follow you on Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff, right? Yeah, please do. I'd love to chat with you and answer any questions you have. Um, This is this is not just my job. This is my calling. I love it. Yeah. And um, thank you, Allie, for the way that you've just given so many, so much courage. Um, I steal courage from you sometimes. So thanks. Oh, well, thank you so much, Allison. Thanks for taking the time to come on. Talk to you soon. 